and welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This is special episode 116, and we are talking Team 21. Who am I talking Team 21 with? Well, it's Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrow. Matthew, Brenda, team. Team. Go team. Team team. Go team. <laughs> team. We're acting team. as a team. Wow. First up, some big news out of team for Adaptivist, and that is we have won the award of Atlassian Partner of the Year for Cloud Migration Services. And here to discuss that honor with us is Adaptivist CEO, Simon Hayden-Williams. Simon, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm going to just show you the award, the nice bit of glass. Um, in these kind of COVID lockdown times, it came to my house rather than to the office. Uh, so there we go. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I have on inside information that this is going to be the interior design scheme for your, your house now, right? Well, I'm kind of hoping so, but there's a bit of selling to do do at home on that. Um, we'll, we'll, if, if I've got a black eye the next time you see me, you'll know that didn't work so well. <laughs> I, I'll just suspect that you fell. All right. So when Atlassian is talking about migration services, what would you say that encompasses? Uh, it's a pretty broad segment of things. Um I think, you know, you look at the, the larger enterprise out there, uh, migration isn't kind of a, a one and done kind of thing. It's not just a process of uh, picking up your data from um, a server or data center and, and moving it to a cloud instance. Typically, these large organizations have got multiple instances configured in different ways, um, uh, lots of different groups using them. And so that, that kind of migration service typically uh, needs a lot of thinking about their business, the way they operate, the way they integrate with other things. And it, it's kind of a kind of a partial, partial kind of ongoing, sometimes multi-year transaction of, of moving things from um, uh, from server and DC and into cloud and actually merging things together as well as just migration. So migration is a small word that covers a whole bunch of activities around business and technology. So Simon, cloud and everything about moving to it, all of these things that you just described, uh, it's really big in Atlassian's focus at the moment, and it has been for years. I mean, we've been talking about it on the podcast forever. They they are a cloud-first company. So with this being such a big deal to them, us winning this award is, you know, it's nothing to sneeze at. What put us ahead of the pack? Um, I, I think, I think I mean, you said at the beginning of this that it's about moving to cloud. I don't think it is about moving to cloud. I think it's about uh, adopting more cloud in the mix of things that enterprises do. Uh, and we think there's... Um, the way we look at it is that a lot of organizations have adopted cloud in other parts of their business. Uh, and that's obviously a continuing thing that we see across the industry. What we don't see is everyone dropping everything and moving to cloud overnight. And so that, that creates the hybrid state, that recognition that organizations are moving to a more agile way of working. They're moving to a more OPEX focused way of, of funding business um, is really well aligned with uh, the move to cloud. Um, the reason we're, we're ahead of the curve, I guess, is because we always look at what our customers are trying to do, and we try we try and help them uh, on the journey to do new and interesting things. Um, for those that for you know, we, for those businesses that don't adapt, then they're going to die sooner or later because their competitors will get them. And so we're we're trying to help them with that constantly. And cloud is just the next big thing for that. So um, you mentioned the hybrid state. You mentioned having uh, multiple technologies to support complex organizations. Now. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, our new product, which supports this Autoblocks. And mm -hmm. we've got two speak. We've got um, two talks being given here at Atlassian Team Twenty One. We've won this award, and now I've got to ask you, Simon. My favorite question is, what's next? 
Well, what's next? I, I mean, I think you mentioned Autoblocks. Um, the launch of Autoblocks is just the beginning of that. Autoblocks enables that kind of hybrid state between server and cloud. But much more than that, it recognizes the um, the fact that people don't develop don't develop solutions and don't run their businesses in a single piece of software. They have lots and lots of SaaS platforms that can be joined together, and you can build value streams that that stretch across multiple um, SaaS solutions. Autoblocks enables you to do that. In terms of what's next for us beyond Autoblocks, or as well as Autoblocks, I guess you know we we have. Um, uh, we've we've long since taken a decision that we're doing really well in the Atlassian space, and and we think you know we've got a great reputation, and we want to build on that in the adjacent ecosystems uh, that we operate into. And so, we relatively recently announced our GitLab partnership. Uh, we have an Aha partnership, and uh, we've most recently launched um, some Slack products as well. Um, anyone who uses Slack and, and and like to do integration automation, take a look at Workflow Steps Builder. Um, it's available for free right now. Take it, play with it, and see what you can do with it. Awesome. Well, Simon Hayden Williams, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Congratulations on uh, winning the Migration Services Partner of the Year Award. Thank you. And we'll see you soon, sir. My pleasure as ever. Cheers. Yeah, so super exciting uh, to win this award for Cloud Migration Services. And I was looking at the other awards on Atlassian's website. Um, actually, I'm realizing now they uh, they head up the page saying 2020 awards, but it actually is uh, the 2021 part. Or maybe maybe they're saying it was for the year 2020, the previous year, even though yeah. they're, they're handing them out in 2021. Um, I w- there are a lot. I was kind of surprised by how many there are. And there's a lot of them that I don't know what they mean, <laughs> which I feel a little weird. I wish that they, I wish Atlassian shared why they hand out a certain award or like explained what it was. Like um, there's one that just says developer contributor. I don't, I don't know what that. That sounds like a participation trophy. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know if it's a, I don't know what that person did. Uh, one just says cloud services. So I guess maybe that's consultancy, um, uh, ITSM solutions, DevOps solutions. Like presumably they did something really cool. I wish I knew what that story was and how they did it. Uh, and and there's one Streamline Soft. I haven't heard of them before, but they got top rated marketplace app. But I, I don't know which of their apps is considered the, the top rated one and um, like I, I look at them and I'm, I'm just, I, I'm a bit confused. So, uh, and lastly, if anybody's listening, maybe for for future years, what would be cool is you know have your marketing team like share these stories and and like I, it's great to link to our web pages, but I would love for for you to link to like here's why we gave them this award and here's a little like segment about each of them. I think that would be nice. Speaking of Atlassians, we might be able to speak with one of them here on the show about some of the news that we heard at Team 21. So I'm not going to make any promises, but look for that in a future episode of this here podcast. You, you better make sure and just listen to every single podcast just in case going forward. I mean, That's really the same thing. It should have been all along. <laughs> how else? If you, you haven't, feel free to start back at episode one. Yeah. How, how <laughs> else would you keep up with the never ending saga? I mean, it's like the story keeps. <laughs> getting told
think it was Alfred Hitchcock who said that uh, an experience should be directly in proportion, I'm paraphrasing here, with the endurance of the human bladder. The theatrical experience <laughs> should be directly in proportion with that. And I don't know if they read the memo, but what keynotes? Wow. What keynotes? You know, if if we had been on a boat, we would have been shipwrecked on an island before that keynote was over. Twice. A three-hour tour. We could have we could have shipwrecked twice with Marianne and Gilligan, but nope. Just well, got to watch the video. Got to watch Dom Price. <laughs> well, we we I was gonna compare Dom Price with Ginger, but not <laughs> I think you could pull that off, especially with those boots on day one, you know, so the, the keynotes, uh, for those of you who are, you know, valued, uh, listeners of this podcast, but maybe you, you didn't intend. I was shocked as we got in that the keynote quote unquote was three hours long, uh, both days. So six hours of keynote. Uh, if this had been live, it would have been, uh, unbearable. Um, I think a lot of us would have walked out. Um, cause uh, as Ryan said, like he just, it's hard to, I mean, this wasn't Lord of the Rings, you know, and uh, even a lot of theaters for Lord of the Rings would have had like an intermission or something. If you go to the opera, you don't have to sit for three hours. Um, so it, it was a lot. Um, but I'll and there be was a honest, lot of content not, to take in as well on the fringes of that. There was just a well, ton of stuff going on. Yeah, but I was going to say the keynote wasn't necessarily a lot of content. <laughs> it, well. it was it was uh it was a lot of words uh it was a lot of talking um but kind of kind of repetitive um often you would have multiple speakers who would come on and, and kind of highlight the same things and even frequently using the exact same screenshots uh so that there i did yeah the three hour multiple keynotes that was a challenge well you know, there is nothing like repetition to bring up a point home. And that's why you repeat the repetition brings a point home. Mm. Would you care to repeat that, Ryan? It brings a point home repetition. <laughs> Some we There is a lot of great stuff that came out of this, though. We do need to, to look on the positive side. Some major product announcements. And we've got we're going to feature one of those from Adaptivist here on today's podcast. Um, as well as a little bit more information about some of the topics that we started covering uh, last week on episode 115, most notably point A, or yeah. maybe not. Matthew, you're pretty excited about, and we didn't even talk about open DevOps last week. So which one is the big Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's start with point A, because I think that's the, um, you know, very preliminary here. So we referenced the webpage for point A in the last podcast. There's a lot of coming soon type stuff on there. Um, particularly on day two, we got to see in the keynote some additional screenshots for point A. Um, those screenshots are not live on the point A website yet, so there's nothing new to, to show you all. But uh, we did get some more insight into what we're going to get with Compass. Uh, we didn't see anything of Jira product discovery other than the same sort of like little sentence. Uh, it's still very much like an alpha coming soon. So we don't quite know what product discovery is, but everything else we get. And, um, I think they do look really useful, really interesting. I'm still very much reminded of the home concept that Atlassian introduced a couple of years ago, but never quite took off. And it feels like this is like contextualized home. It's home for the developers. It's home for the business users. It's home for the, the product manager, 
Uh, it's home for the the server manager type people. Like, it, and it's pulling together all these different tools in the Atlassian stack. Yeah, it's features that we've seen in other places being repurposed and redistributed, along with some nice re- repackaging of the interface. So they're mm-hmm. they're useful tools. They're super flexible, right? Give people a nice way to interact with them that is targeted towards their particular needs, and you got good stuff. But I can't help but think that it's it's so much like the um, I guess the 2016 era Atlassian of soft Jira software core and service desk. It feels the same. Like work management is core. Um, uh, sorry, no, 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 no. Work management. No, is, you're, you're you're right. Work oh, management yeah. is similar to service core. Like it's part of the same is, audience. Yeah, and service. Yeah, service management, management is, service. is service desk. Um, the the big difference being that when Jira software and Jira service desk were sort of migrated or or, or the the licensing was changed to where they were applications, and the idea being if you paid for Jira software, you also had Jira core. You had all those features. Um, Jira work management isn't replacing core in that way. It's not like I got Jira software and I also get Jira work management. Like it is its own distinct feature set, its own distinct, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but it's, it really is sort of exposing data that's already there. It's taking what you already have in the system and demonstrating it in a new way. One of the phrases that I did take issue with Today, from one of the marketing managers, they kept saying, uh, this will update your Jira. This this updates your Jira. We get this and it updates your Jira. And it's it's not actually updating anything. It's just providing a visualization. It's it's just reporting and it's live reporting, which is you know one of the big features of Jira. It's up to the day, up to date, up to the minute. It's live, but it's not, we're not talking about triggers with these tools. We're talking about just showing you what's happening and, and making that more visible, surfacing it, uh, which is all very valuable. But uh, it's not; th- these aren't automation tools. Uh, they're they're visualization or, or reporting tools. Mm. Okay, all right, yeah, I see where you're going with that. One other thing I think is interesting is for Compass specifically, which we did get some more interesting information on today. So Compass is um, going to help software development teams uh, who are dealing with distributed architectures. So it's pulling together. Uh, data across your, you know, your different instances. You can bring in Ops Genie. You can bring in your service management. Tie it all together in Compass. And if if you're having uh, problems with these systems, like be able to see, oh, there's a problem with the system, and I can tie in Bitbucket pipelines and see that we shipped. Uh, you know, we had a PR that was merged. Maybe that's related. Like I can I can see all these things together in one place. Like that will be super helpful. And then there was the statement: you'll be able to extend Compass with Forge. Uh, so Forge, for, for those who are either app developers, you've heard of it. It's uh, sort of the replacement for Connect for making cloud apps. It uh, was announced as part of Team 2021. We've, we've talked about this before, but May 25th of 2021, Forge will become generally available to users, including in-house developers and marketplace partners. So um, this cloud extensibility platform has been in beta for a little bit. It'll become generally available on May 25th. And apparently we'll be able to do something with it with Compass, though everything I've heard about Forge is that it's still kind of thin, still kind of immature. So it'll be interesting to see once developers get their hands on it more generally, what they, you know, how they extend this to start building some automations and building some integrations with Forge and into the other Atlassian tools.
nephew, did you catch anything about Jiro Line at Summit this year outside of our talk? No. Brenda's just shaking her head. No, no. no. So outside of our talk, no. We we did have some talk amongst keynote. ourselves yeah. at Adaptivist. Um, one of the things that I'm not intimately familiar with Jiro Line. It's not part of my sort of orbit anymore. Um, now that I'm not doing project management and, and enterprise consultancy as much, but um, I, it, it seems like there's some challenges here because Atlassian, uh, particularly in the cloud, is driving things towards user customization. The team managed projects are all about go in, make your fields, here's think tilt, make your fields, make your dynamic forms, make these customizations, make your workflows, da-da-da-da-da. And what I hear from our Jira Align consultants is that Align really needs things standardized and really needs that sort of like out of the box, like it has to be lockstep, it has to be, for lack of a better word, aligned all the way through your stack of, of configuration. Like it's very vertically rigid. And Jira Cloud is very vertically amorphous and but dynamic. that brings that brings Trello into the party because there was a good bit of Trello you know talk in in the sessions during team and it kind of infers this is where you go if you want to be loosey goosey you've got the mm -hmm. power to automate work and construct your workflow for your team and build these things and put all this stuff on your cards yeah but no you should probably use Jira right She's here for some things. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're, you are right to observe Ryan, not much on a line. And, and I wonder if the reason that we weren't hearing as much is because in terms of kind of like a, a tool strategy, like if you think about the direction at lasting is going overall, does a line fit into that strategy and direction of like really empowering the users themselves? Because a line from what I'm, I'm getting from it looks really much more like a command and control top-down type of tool that doesn't necessarily play well with empowering users to make and do whatever they want in the system. Hmm. I don't know. So speculation. Wild speculation there, as we like <laughs> to do at, at, at Summit or Team 21. You know, something we, we also like to do at Team 21 that we can't. Normally, this podcast would be recorded at the bar after Team 21, and we'd be pulling in other partners and and other random people and um instead uh we were trying to fit this in in between meetings and watching things as we could and uh, uh struggling to you know sit through multiple hour presentations um so we're, we're going to we vegas next year baby yeah we are uh, i really thought it was gonna be back in san francisco but yeah back to mm -hmm. back to vegas again brenda you're in right uh, i don't know to be honest I really don't know. Yeah. I, I typically go on a training ticket and I don't know if I will be delivering training. So I don't know that I would be on the list to go. Yeah. Ditto. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what next year's team 21 looks like. Um, will they have the in-person training the same way? Um, will it be as many sessions as it has been in the past? You know, what will number of attendees be like? I think there's a, a lot of questions. Um, you know, for this year, I had about six hours of presentations I wanted to watch. Uh, I got through, I think, two hours of them. I, I haven't been able to get through them all yet. I'm yeah. unclear of how long I have to watch them. I don't know how long they'll be available. Um, but what I did, I, I think there's two I'd like to call out of, of particular topics. One was, um, you know, beyond our presentation on Jiro Line, 
which had uh, uh, Cannon and, and Jennifer on. I thought that was really good. I also really liked Splunk's uh, The Things I What I Wish I'd Known before moving 10,000 users to cloud. I thought that was really good. Um, and then uh, Bamboo Data Center. So I think this is another big announcement coming out of Team 21. We had expected it. We got Bitbucket Data Center on the last podcast. Um, this you know episode, we can we can say yes, Bamboo Data Center is indeed happening. And one of the things I liked in the that particular little demo was this isn't just a new license. <laughs> like it's finally bringing um, cold failover, uh, high availability, you know, quote unquote high availability. Um, to Bamboo and and adding some enhancements to it when Bamboo honestly hasn't gotten a lot of updates the last couple of years. So no, they, it, it looks like they are going to, they're, they're going to start investing more in that uh, as it moves to DC. So I, I think those are a couple other um, good ones to call out uh, from, from team 21. I like the confluence update as well. Hmm. Are you talking about cloud or data center? I believe this looks cloudy to me. The, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the dark mode for mobile, you know, mm, uh, the yeah. dark mode alone gets, is all I really need, but fully embedding content into confluence pages, uh, inline comments in edit mode, finally rolling out. That's awesome. Dude. That's super oh big. my goodness. So that's really mm-hmm. good stuff. Good stuff to see. And speaking of new products, we at Adaptivist have a pretty big announcement and we got to speak with... And next on this very special edition of the Adaptivist Live Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast are Seb Sidbury, Product Marketing Manager, and Paul Saunders, Product Manager for Autoblocks. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, great to see you. All right, dudes. Um, So we've talked about Autoblocks on the podcast before, but this is a whole new animal. So Seb, what is this new Autoblocks? Uh, sure, Ryan. So this new version of Autoblocks is essentially a—it's an integration platform. So we can we can talk about it in a, in, a, in a bit. But the the short way to explain it is everyone knows and loves uh, ScriptRunner for Jira. Also, so uh, Autoblocks is a little bit like uh, ScriptRunner for Jira, except it's not limited to to Jira. It's not limited to a single Atlassian instance. It's uh, it's it's a tool that works across all of your Atlassian products. And actually goes even beyond that and allows you to integrate your, your non-Atlassian products as well. So the kind of things you might be doing with, with ScriptRunner, so automating tasks, uh, integrating apps, it's that kind of thing, but across your entire IT landscape rather than living within a single Atlassian instance. Um, I can't recall how many years ago it was <laughs> at so this point. It was sitting in Adaptus London office uh, downstairs uh, watching Mark Gibson do a little demo of Google Blockly and thinking about this low code, no code solution for building automations. And uh, as our viewers at home know, Ryan and I, we are, we're not developers. Yeah. You want uh, we, us, we don't really know you don't want us uh, what we're doing here. Um, but it was really exciting. I was like, Oh, cause I used to be a Jira admin and I still do a bunch of Jira stuff. And I went, Oh, this would be so helpful. You know, for building automations when you don't know code. And that became Autoblocks, this idea of you could build your automations with blocks and adapt to maintain the API connections and it would just work forever. That was called Autoblocks. And what we have now is called Autoblocks, but it's, as you said, it's not just for inside your Jira instance, it's all over the place. So 
Can you guys talk a little bit about how we got from there to here? Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. I like like all the best stories. This has like an awesome origin story that involves a pub, I think. And and the product <laughs> that you're the product that you're referring to that Matthew, that was that was definitely the result of like a hack day of I oh, yeah. know, like four oh, yeah. or five years dream. ago, maybe. So yeah. we've been we've been dabbling in this space for, for quite a long time. And the and the and the product that you recall that we launched in uh, I think it's twenty nineteen, you know, that was that had a limited kind of feature set in that it was it was it was called Autoblocks for Jira Server. And you guessed it, it just worked for Jira Server. When it came for us to look at the cloud version of the same product, um, you know, we we'd had the opportunity there of actually taking some of the learnings um that we'd had of that initial release. We'd had chance to actually talk to users. Um Seb went on a roadshow of the states and was like visiting all of the different Atlassian um, community um, events uh, and was able to talk to users and get their feedback. Um, there was a couple of things that we were that we hypothesized and that we actually took as learnings from that. Um, one thing that like the real power Jira admins who perhaps were like more familiar with ScriptRunner, the the number one thing they came back and said to us is like, well, this is great, but there comes a point with like a no code or a low code solution where I just want to dip into the code. Um, you know, you get to that point and you want an escape hatch where you want to break out and you actually just want to write a little bit of code. So that was the probably the first biggest learning that we had. Um, the second learning that we had from our work actually working within um, ScriptRunner for Jira Cloud is what we were seeing is as people were moving over to cloud, the larger the organization, the more kind of complex their, their infrastructure and their landscape was. So the, the requirement for them to kind of just be able to do automation within um, their Jira instance or their Confluence instance or their Bitbucket instance, they were expecting that kind of capability across their whole their, their whole network um, uh, and their whole infrastructure. And you know the, the thing to remember is one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons why you would migrate to cloud in the first case is you want to be more open. You want to be more connectable. You want to take advantage of the fact that you are exposed to the internet and that side of things. So um, it's basically embracing that that fact, learning from you know the feedback that we've had from that version one of Autoblocks and moving things forward into the way that we see the world operating nowadays. So when you talk about these enterprises and their, their architecture infrastructure, the, the tools that they're using to get work done, in Autoblocks land, you're not just talking about Atlassian here, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so this first version of Autoblocks for everything, <laughs> or just Autoblocks for sure, um, we have first-class um, support for, for Slack. Um, we've added um, support for ServiceNow. Um, we've even got Google Sheets in there because uh, one of the first things people were saying to us is like, oh, I want to be able to dump my results into a spreadsheet. So, we, mm. so we've done that. Um, and, you know, the, the roadmap ahead, you know, um, Adaptivist now has, you know, quite a broad partner portfolio. And, we, you know, we're going to be adding to that list all the time. Um, and as Seb pointed out, um, we do offer generic support for, for other tools as well. So we we had one of our early access partners, they built a proof of concept where they were working with um, Shopify, for example. Um, they wanted to have a checkout experience on a, on a service management portal. So that was something they were able to do with Autoblocks. 
So all of the current trends are showing that with with organizations uh, further moving into the clouds, they've there's more and more um, empowerment for different parts of the organization to use the tools that they want because of the lower barriers to entry into the adoption of some of these cloud systems. And so as this as the the overall IT landscape of the companies gets uh, more and more complex, when it comes to implementing these these cross cross system processes. Um, how how different companies want to to arrange their uh, their business logic. If these different tools are segregated, then it becomes very hard to do that. And and that's where a tool like Autoblocks can really unlock those challenges for companies by essentially unifying that that web of um, of different nodes into uh, a seamless connected whole across which you can then start writing your own integrations uh, with Autoblocks. Well, Seb, some of those nodes are going to be on-premise, aren't they? That's right. So we, we recognize that. And, and um, it's important to note that at the end of the day, whether the system's cloud-based or whether the system's based on-premise, the uh, fundamentally what we need is an open uh, HTTP REST API. And as long as that's present, whether that's a bespoke system that a company has created themselves or whether it's a, a third-party vendor, a, a bought system, then Autoblocks can connect to it. And from the perspective of Autoblocks, there's no, there's no distinction. You're able to write your integrations and your automations across everything seamlessly. Yeah, that, that's an important factor that, that Seb just made, made just there, is that an end user, all due respect for them, they don't actually care whether their Jira is on-premise or in the cloud, whether their Bitbucket is hosted somewhere here or there. They just want their stuff to work, and they don't care who's who's looking after it and who's hosting it. And if they think that they can connect via their internet, and if they think they can connect via their API, then why shouldn't they be able to do what they want with it? Yeah, it's this point of tension that we're seeing more and more in organizations where, you know, the user's job is to do their job. It's not to screw with tools. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes there's uh, internal tension in an organization where. I feel like I need this tool to get my job done, uh, but IT's got to get a server. They got to get a rack. They got to sort out the firewalls and the proxies and whatnot. Or I can put my credit card into a web page and spin something up in the cloud, which then creates all kinds of headaches for the, the IT admins. And one of the things I look at from Autoblocks from that admin perspective is I can have lots and lots and lots of political fights to try to get everybody on the same system so that things are tied together. Or I could use some middleware, something like Autoblocks that just ties together so the users can get the tools they want, but I can still integrate my systems. Is that like a, a right way of, of looking at this? Yeah, for sure. So there were a couple of personas that we we kind of targeted early on and, and, and sort of helped us in our thinking around, um, you know, what people would be using Autoblocks for. And one of, one of our, uh, um, probably our biggest early adopter is our, is our CIO, uh, Neil. Um, Who's who's got a whole load of kind of not legacy technology, but has kind of got legacy um, unsupported um, integrations in place that he's you know that are kind of like not that they're uncontrolled, but you know there's a, there's a business risk around those. And one of the big things that he's working on right now is he's ripping all of that out and replacing it with Autoblox, and he's he's meeting that exact requirement that you're talking about, uh, Matthew. And we we see we're having those level of conversations with. Um, with other, not just Jira administrators, but system administrators, 
um, managers of information systems and CIO levels where they're having exactly those kind of challenges that you described. One, one of our customers in retail in the UK, they estimate they have like about a thousand different SaaS instances internally that they're having to take control of. And that's come from the fact that people have just been able to go off and spin up their own Slack workspace or Basecamp instance or a Jira Cloud instance for free without mm-hmm. having to worry about it. So, One yeah. of the interesting differentiators of, of Autoblocks is that when you look at other integration apps, many of them offer quite a, uh, quite a superficial level of integration support. So if your requirements are fairly simplistic, then you can use these tools and, and that's fine. Um, at the other end of the scale, there are some extremely specialized integrations tools which are focusing on a very specific challenge and will probably solve that challenge very well. But they lack the flexibility. They, they just focus on that one point. And so both of those different types of, of, of integration systems are different to Autoblocks because with Autoblocks, it, like ScriptRunner, it's, it's open-ended. So it provides the links between everything. And then it's up to you to create your own solution. So unlike some of the more specific integration products, it's it you, you can work with everything. Um, so rather than augmenting the complexity of your overall IT landscape by adding more and more integration tools for all your different challenges. With Autoblocks, you can just have the one which covers all of those use cases. And because fundamentally we're we're working with TypeScript and JavaScript here, you have that um, unrestricted uh, potential that, that you can really only get through code. So the, the level of complexity of the integrations that you can write is, is virtually unlimited. So for people like Ryan and me, we can we can play with Legos, and for <laughs> for everyone else, they can actually get in and write some code. Well, that, that's right, and we've got like a halfway house as well. So we've got a concept that we call recipes um, in app as well. And so you know you can you can take something that we've already built, and you can uh, you know if you're a, if you're a copy and paste coder like I am then you, you, you can actually do some code and you can feel like you're super powerful without <laughs> just moving nice. Legos around. You're actually moving a bit of code around. That's as From my point of view, I find that really satisfying. <laughs> well, we don't have the opportunity to debunk Paul Saunders' claim that he's a copy-paste coder. But, gents, Autoblocks, congratulations on the successful launch, the big news. How do people get connected with Autoblocks? So uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you just want to go to www.autoblocks.com and you can sign up and we have a free tier so you can try it out to your heart's content, see what works for you, build what you need. And when you're ready and if you're ready, uh, you can move on to, to the next stage, but it's all from our website. Wonderful. Well, Seb Sidbury and Paul Saunders from the Autoblocks team, congratulations again and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. If you're connected with us on social media, you might have seen that before, during, and after Team, we've been hosting a series of webinars called Team Talks. And if you hadn't had enough of Team yet, our very own Brenda Burl will be part of one of these sessions next week. Brenda, are you excited or what? I am excited. Um, This will be a fireside chat. We'll be discussing what's new from Atlassian Team 
And I will be joined by some of our, our good friends from Smart Bear, Gliffy, Tempo, and AppFire. Neil Riley, our CIO, will be moderating this. And uh, we'll just be chatting about what's new um, and, and what we're taking away from all of this. So we've got a, a lot of stuff that, you know, as, as things are being announced, um, we have a lot of content that we'll be thinking about over the next few days. Um, I actually met with the group earlier today. We're recording this on Thursday, the 29th. Had a great chat. It was. It's really, really smart people. Um, a really great group of folks to to discuss. You know how how the things that are being talked about at Atlassian team are going to uh, you know affect what we're doing and how we can help you as as customers or part of the ecosystem. You know, just adjust as as the world continues to change. So um, this webinar is for me in Pacific time. Um, it'll be at nine a.m. on May fourth on Tuesday. Uh, so that would be noon Eastern. It's going to be 5 p.m. British stand summertime. And we would love to have you join. Um, if you, like we said, if you haven't got enough team, if you haven't got enough of me on the podcast, please do join um, this fireside chat. What's new from Atlassian team um, Tuesday, May 4th. And we'll have a link to it. As always, we'll have a link to a page about it in our show notes. All right. Team. That was a, a heck of a team. 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 Next year, I don't know that, you know, I don't know that we necessarily will be the Ryan. You 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 almost assuredly will be, but uh we, don't know if Ryan and I will be. But but people, people will be at team 22 and be able to see each other and, and talk to one another. It'll be it'll be madness. But I don't know how to do this anymore, so um, <laughs> I'm going to need some some lessons on peopling before, if, if I do end up going. Um, well, listeners, we certainly hope to see you in Las Vegas in 2022. Uh, and until then, stay safe, have fun. For Brenda Burl and Matthew Stubblefield, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Anything else we want to do for this one, guys? You know, let's just head off to Isengard, I think. <laughs> Since we're stranded on a desert island, it's time to uh, manufacture glue from coconuts and try to repair mm -hmm. the boat. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, you guys are Weird Al fans, right?